Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby, fresh off of our our Christmas, our Bacchanalia, our our revelry. It How you doing, Matt? It was a revelry. It was, uh, it was a time of uh, seasonal joy and Thanksgiving and uh, present giving and present receiving and uh, general shenanigan tomfoolery good merriment times. merriment merriment yes merriment. yes yes it was fantastic we had, a, we had a wonderful holiday i hope everyone listening also had a wonderful holiday if you do celebrate said holiday if you do not celebrate said holiday then i still hope that was like a really good day for you yeah like, like you just, just had a good saturday yeah i mean i want that for everybody all the time pretty much all the time yeah 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 no it was great uh, but we're happy to be here we're happy to be back happy to be talking about zelda drinking whiskey smoking cigars on the patio because in texas even though it's december it is 70 degrees outside at nine o'clock <laughs> at night i gotta be honest with you it actually like i don't know i know that this is nice weather on paper but i'm actually kind of angry at it's it really it, a mood kill yeah it feels disgusting I should not be sweating right now while i'm doing this podcast no outside. you should not it's it's really just wrong well, ladies and gentlemen, he uh, he just blew in like a bat out of hell before I could introduce him. But we are, of course, joined again tonight by returning legend, Michael, the detective. How you doing, Mike? Howdy. I'm doing fantastic. Minus a few uh, obstacles right now. <laughs> Got a couple obstacles going on. Mike, Mike, to what extent would you like to enumerate all your various ailments you're going through right now? Well, we only have a certain amount of time on this podcast, so I'll be brief. Um, one trampoline park accident playing with my three-year-old caused a broken fibula in my right leg. So that was obstacle one. And then uh, me being a glutton for punishment, decided to go ahead and get my vasectomy done last week right before <laughs> Christmas. So I'm just living the dream, boys. He is uh, very not ambulatory this time around. But uh, hey, I'm agile as heck on those crushes. <laughs> hey, you're doing a good job. You're, you're, you're navigating well. Well, the turning radius is impressive, right? Because all you really got to do is plant either side plant and, and pivot, then just kind of like pivot. pivot on it. I think at this point I've gotten better with them than on my regular legs, so I'm just going to stick with it. Oh, man. Mike, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Hoping that you as well, uh, despite all of these wonderful little things you have going on, um, also had quite a Merry Christmas. I had a very Merry Christmas. The family was great. We had a bunch of people together. It was my son's first Christmas, and I got some smiles. Mine as well. Mine as well. Ah, Congratulations, senor. To you as well. So, no, we had a great Christmas. My three-year-old... it's fun when they're little because you can see the magic in their eyes. And mm. so we had a really good time. I had a bunch of whiskey and that helped. Whiskey always helps everything. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Except for driving. Don't do that. Yeah, there are certain very specific situations in which uh, whiskey should not be employed. So yeah. Good save, Matt. Good save. Thank you. <laughs> Don't drink and drive, kids. We don't always drink responsibly. We, we do not want the Moms Against Drunk Driving to come down on this podcast. No, that would be a very bad thing for us. You don't want them as your enemy. No. You don't want to make them 
mad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. We support their message entirely. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely. Yes, we do. Oh, man. I'm glad to hear that everyone is doing well. Obviously, we've got a really uh, cool bit of game to talk about coming up. Mike, you've been keeping up with Link to the Past up to this point, right? I have indeed. So I have been playing along with you guys and even a little bit ahead at points, just trying to stay with the game, uh, especially with all the holiday stuff going on and the kids. Um, I have fallen a little bit behind on listening to the podcast, for which I am sorry. I um, hope you can forgive me. But uh, no, I have been keeping up playing, so I'm I'm ready. Awesome. Before we actually start talking about Zelda, I want to go around the table real quick. Um, I, we don't usually do this segment, but I feel like we're all kind of playing a lot of really fun things in addition to A Link to the Past. So, Matt, starting with you, give us uh, give us something that you are playing at the moment that's not Zelda that you're having a great time with. I'll give you two things that I'm playing right now that is not Zelda that I'm having a really good time with. Uh, number one being Metroid Dread, which is a ridiculously fun game. I'm not a big Metroid person. I've only ever played... Uh, the Metroid that was on the GameCube, whereas like Dark Samus and the, I don't even remember what it was called, but I vaguely remember being fun. Well, pr- that would have been Metroid Prime, but Dark Samus doesn't show up until the Wii, like Metroid Prime 3. Oh, well, I don't know, but I remember that there was like a black suit that you could get because you had to like go in between like another, it was like another like Shadow World thing that was going on. Uh, that one was fun, but no, this is so this is my like second Metroid game really. And uh, very, very, very fun. Enjoying it a lot. Um, and I'm also uh, trucking along in Halo Infinite and just loving the hell out of that game. It's a uh, Breath of the Wild meets Halo, and it's just perfect in yeah. really every way. So I'm going to talk about Halo Infinite for mine here in just a second. But um, kind of dovetailing off of Metroid Dread, talking about that a little bit more, because that is kind of the um, the resurgence of a beloved Nintendo property that has not gotten as much love over the years as Zelda. I think Metroid in general is one of those that Nintendo comes around to far less frequently for a variety of reasons. Um, for one, it, it typically doesn't sell all that well in comparison to Zelda and Mario. Um, it does terribly in Japan. Um, it's never done well in Japan, and it doesn't exactly light the world on fire in the um, in North America or the European territories either. Um, so yeah, it, all that is to say, Metroid Dread is the first side-scrolling Metroid, original side-scrolling Metroid. There was a remake since then, but it's the first side-scrolling Metroid that we've gotten in like 20 years, I want to say. The last one before that was Metroid Fusion on the Game Boy Advance, which released the same day as Metroid Prime on the GameCube. So all that is to say we're kind of dealing with an extended Metroid drought, um, I'm told anyway, because I've never been a Metroid fan like yourself, Matt. Metroid Dread, I've played um, Super Metroid and enjoyed that well enough, Um, but Metroid Dread is definitely kind of a whole different animal for me. I'm enjoying the absolute hell out of that game. Its moment-to-moment gameplay is wildly fun, and I think it's really fun when you consider the interesting ways in which Metroid side-scrolling games are similar-ish to uh, the top-down Zelda games. Like, obviously, there are some huge differences there, but just like the the explorative nature and then um, the necessity of picking up uh, extra items to be able to get around the world um, easier and to pass obstacles that are kind of gating you off. That's big, um, a big thing that 2D Metroid and Zelda share. So I'm enjoying that a lot, but mostly the combat is just a ton of fun. Like, it, Yeah, it's a really high point for me as well. I'm really looking forward to getting into it whenever I find a little time between my side projects. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, yeah, definitely get and play Metroid Dread. Um, I so kind of uh, spoiled this one already, but uh, for my pick, I'm going to say Halo Infinite. Um, all three of us at this table are big uh, Halo guys going way back. Um, Mike, did you I mean, you jumped on on the OG Halo, right, as well? Oh, yeah, I, I've been a Halo fan since toward the actual tail end of whenever Halo 1 was out. Um, as I didn't have an Xbox, I jumped in really at Halo 2 and went back and played 1 and liked the crap out of it. And then I've been on the Halo bandwagon since. Um, I did skip out on the last installment, which I think was 5. Yeah, you're fine. And that's yeah, what you're I, not missing that's, much. That's what you told me on several occasions. So I'm going to go ahead and just leave that one out just with the economy of time. And I'm ready to get into Infinite because you've sang nothing but its praises. Yeah, so I was definitely one of those people who, you know, obviously Halo is now under new um, management uh, and under new development talent um, from kind of what a lot of people considered to be its heyday. You know, Halo's 1, 2, 3, ODST, and Reach were all Bungie developed, and then it switched to uh, 343 um, with Halo 4 and then Halo 5. And I enjoyed Halo 4's story, but not its multiplayer, um, and thought the campaign was a little linear. I enjoyed Halo 5's multiplayer, but really disliked its story, both uh, because of narrative content and just got even more linear than uh, Halo 4 was. It was just wildly weird. And so I was really kind of, uh, I would say cautiously, very cautiously optimistic about whether or not I thought Infinite was going to, you know, be the comeback that Halo really needs in order to kind of get back to its roots and to really start feeling like Halo again. Um, and I feel like it has 100% spectacularly achieved that goal. Um, Halo Infinite, like Matt already said, it's kind of this weird mishmash of classic Halo gameplay, sandbox design, weapon balancing, enemy AI, mixed with some of the things that I loved the most about Breath of the Wild. Um, and it's it's just a it's a combination that absolutely slaps it slaps so hard it's such a fun game it tells an amazing story that feels classic halo it's just top to bottom it's great can't commend 343 enough on the job that they did with that game because it's um man i mean halo's back in a huge way and i'm i'm all on board with it i don't know how i can not play it after that Lyndon. yeah dude i mean seriously you're gonna love it so much mike what are you getting into these days so I, i'm as you said, fixing to get into Halo Infinite. I just got my Xbox Series X after a, a year of waiting and looking. I was you finally little, beat those bots. I got one behind the curve. Uh, so I got that. I haven't hooked it up yet because gimpy. Um, but I plan on doing that this week, maybe with your help, Lyndon. Um, I feel like I can't ask my wife to also hook up my new Xbox. I feel like that's <laughs> going too far. Um, but besides that, I've been keeping up with Zelda. Um, I was playing Dragon Age Origins again on... Oh, that is a phenomenal game. Yes, so oh, that's a blast from the past. I was playing that again in my office on my old Xbox 360. And then oddly enough, I've been playing Baldur's Gate. Mm. Um, it's the, re the I guess, remaster that's on the Switch. Yeah. And that's been a fun time. And it's very similar to Link to the Past in the fact that it's not handholdy. So it's an yeah. RPG that I'm having to constantly beat my head against the wall and figure out what to do next. So two two Bioware classics there. I know. I've, I've been having a, a good time. Bioware, release more stuff. Oh, dude, they're, uh, the, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition has been, had kept me very busy through most of the summer. That's yeah. good. Oh, yeah. 
How about we just um, get past the next uh, Mass Effect and then go from there? That you know, that's where I'm at with Bioware. If they don't, if they don't get it right with Mass Effect Five, I guess because it's it's a continuation of the original storyline. So I don't know if it would be four. If there's, I don't know what they're going to do with it. If they don't make a good Mass Effect game after the fumble that was Andromeda, uh, you know, and the despicable <laughs> disgustingness that was Anthem. Then I guess, you know what, we'll just uh, let Bioware have its heyday and just kind of move on with as, our lives. As the relentless optimist, I have faith. I'm glad they you do. I, they burned me with Anthem. I pre-ordered the like Legion of Dawn edition, the like $65 <laughs> one, and then I got the game and I was like, I hate everything about hey, this. Hey, you know what? To quote uh, Baron Strucker, uh, Heil Hydra, um, we live in an age of miracles. So, Well, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and you know what? To be fair, I didn't hate Anthem. It was like, there were some things about it that was fun. It was just a half quarter baked game. So we, we definitely, I think, are coming uh, off of the end of a period of game design that, um, you know, a few of the a few of the bigger studios and franchises um, had stumbles along the way. And um, I think we're in a comeback period. I think a lot of stuff is kind of bouncing back. And I think the the future is definitely bright, of course. Um, we're dealing with a lot of delays in terms of when we're going to get to play some of this stuff because, um, as you guys may have heard, we are currently living in a global pandemic and that has pushed quite a lot of development timelines well past what they were originally intended to be. So, well, and you know, it's funny because really, I think there are two major games that have shifted the tone of current, um, market go-to-market strategy for video games, and and that is Anthem and Cyberpunk. Those two games that were... Anthem was rushed to market and it was it was it's a story of what happens to a game when you don't give it enough time to bake and you also like change its direction 3000 times during development and still go to market when it's not ready. And it was a total failure. And Cyberpunk is the story of a game that's very similar, except they took like 10 years on it. It still wasn't quite ready because they kept adapting it to new generations of of consoles and they still said it's like mostly ready so it's good enough so i think they're two cautionary tales that have shifted the the market for uh for video game designers to a more let's release this when it's actually finished stage which to uh, do a little segue here is something that nintendo has always done very well it, nintendo has always gone to market with fully baked games, not before, and they don't do all these like 10,000 patches after the fact to try to fix it. They don't like come out with a thousand DLCs to flesh out the story. They go to market with a fully fleshed out game. And that is one of the great things that we love about Nintendo and Zelda in general. I was just going to say, you know what the great thing about Zelda is? Tell me. It's in the freezer. It's in the fridge. It's in the oven all at the same time for us, Matt. It is because we have so much Zelda. So much Zelda. Like Thanksgiving dinner. Ah, uh, yes. Time for Zelda. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> well, you guys, uh, you know, what do you say we uh, we pull some uh, some leftover Zelda out of the fridge, make a sandwich with it, maybe a little dressing, and uh, yeah, get into a discussion. Ah, I like that sound. I'm ready. All righty. Let's get into some housekeeping before we do that. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly reexamination of The Legend of Zelda, one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks <sighs> that we know of. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game, then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot 
takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and so much more. Matt, I believe we have a five-star review, do we not? We do, if you give me two seconds. I sprung that on him. He did. You were pointing at me, and I was like, what? I didn't do anything. You got to leave it in that he has never looked more confused in his life (laughs) than whenever you pointed at him several times. (laughs) I was like, I I swear, I'm not, like, making any noise. I'm not, like, doing anything to, like, throw off your mind. How dare you not read his mind, Matt? You fool of a toque. (laughs) We're just on such a wavelength, guys. At this point, we're basically finishing each other's. Meals. Oh. <laughs> I do have I do have one. Nailed it. <laughs> that was great. <sighs> All right. From um this is my only review. Well, that was an appropriate is an appropriate response. Oh, appropriate man. username. The, we're the first and only. Yeah, this is what he, says, he gave it to says. You. I love it. And the title is As Good as a Chili's Menu. <laughs> No, that's such a deep callback. Hold on. Never mind. They just literally copy and pasted the Chili's menu. <laughs> that's the best review ever. That is literally, this is honestly amazing. <laughs> they literally copy and pasted the Chili's menu. Yeah, but did it, was it five stars? It was five stars, yes. <laughs> he likes Chili's. It's okay, boys. <laughs> I believe it was us on this podcast who said, I believe, and I quote, all right, this is a paraphrasing, not a quote. I believe we said, as long as it was five stars, you could copy and paste the Chili's menu into a review and we would take it so so we'll take it this is my only review we appreciate you <laughs> that was hilarious but i do actually have a real one if you want to listen well, to a real what's one. what's item number one on the chili's menu oh it is uh appetizers um triple dipper pick your three favorites oh which honestly do, do love the triple dipper this, this show is better than a triple dipper thank you mike that's You're high welcome. praise from uh daniel sonaser Daniel's son, sir. I don't know. We'll, we'll go with it. Daniel's son, sir. Uh, this is the Zelda podcast for casual or hardcore fans. The in-depth follow-along every week not only lets us feel the high and lows of any particular chapter of Zelda, but it's always fun to how you engage the same game played your way and how it makes you feel. Kudos to you for being organized and succinct week in and winked out with week in and week out with the extreme detail on every inch of the game, yet keeping our attention with every word. Please keep bringing on new guests with unique perspectives on Zelda or gaming in general, as that is awesome insight from fresh voices. I hope you guys transition or start adding videos on YouTube or something so we can see you guys in action. Have a play along on Twitch. You guys are so relatable and make uh, me feel better that you don't have to be the perfect Zelda player to enjoy Zelda. I really like that review because I think that's kind of what it's about for me too is you don't have to be a hardcore Zelda guy who's played every game to enjoy this. It's kind of a fun entry if you're just now getting into Zelda, depending on your generation, your time frame, uh, but also if you've played Zelda your entire life like you guys and, and me, yeah, then it's pretty dang fun too. Well, I appreciate that, Mike. And that's what we go for. You know, we, we want people to enjoy it, whether or not you have beaten the game on 100% 3,000 times, like Lyndon, you've done three heart, no death runs, or you're like me and I'm like, I've died 12 times in like one dungeon and I'm trying to just like make my way through it. Uh, if you enjoy it, that's what we, that's what we do it.
Yep, we definitely appreciate those words very much. Uh, you guys' five-star reviews always make us smile quite a lot. So please keep those coming. And you know what? Um, let's uh, let's let's keep this whole bit going. I'm uh, I'm actually hoping to get the PF Chang's menu in there at some point. So whoever can do that, you know, that was seriously the f- go for <laughs> that made my night. We're so dying. <clears throat> yeah, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> we've never been to to Chili's before, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> this this podcast, notably not sponsored by Chili's. I feel like we should be after that <laughs> get a triple dipper everybody oh man Good times. oh man all right guys without further ado let's talk about what we played we do that of course every week in the sacred realms rundown which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel today we're covering a link to the past chapter seven part one of the sacred realms rundown is as always the plot recap as read by matthew and that that me Take it away, Matt. Our journey continues as we delve further into the depths of the Dark Realm that houses the once golden and omnipotent power of the Triforce. Ganon and Aghanim continue to hold the princess and the remaining maidens in captive, hoping to gain the power for themselves. We have freed three of their prisoners and head to the fourth dungeon, only a short ways south of Skull Woods. In the village of outlaws or thieves, depending on your translation, we stock up on potions and supplies at the merchant before attempting to enter the dungeon that our weirdly omniscient map shows us is near the northern entrance to the village. The only thing we see there is a giant statue of a gargoyle holding a trident into the ground, which is the only thing that could even possibly conceal the entrance to our desired dungeon. Sure enough, by using the power gauntlets, we pull on the tines of the trident and open the way to the dungeon below. The dungeon is filled with dangerous enemies like Zazax, the ever-present skeletons, and filled with a myriad of traps, including a new one that turns us into Bunny Link when it ever it hits us. Uh, that that one, I believe, has cropped up. I think it was in Skull Woods. According uh, to ZeldaDungeon.net, it is new in this dungeon. No, it definitely got mentioned in a past episode. I don't remember if it was Skull Woods or um, what was before that? Uh, uh, the Swamp. Uh, no, swamp uh, Palace? I'm just, I'm just. Uh, according to ZeldaDungeon.net, the rabbit beam is new in this section. I could swear Ben mentioned. I it. don't know what you want from me, dude. I'm just telling you what's okay, on okay, ZeldaDungeon.net. Okay, 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 okay. That was so unnecessary. I love you. Uh, okay, where we go? Where we go? Where we go? Where we go? Leave that in. Yeah. Hell yeah. <clears throat> the dungeon is a dark and dank place with no light from the outside world entering the corridors. The years have eroded many of the walls and floors, making them vulnerable to bombs for us to pass from room to room and floor to floor. One specific room holds a bombable floor piece that sheds light into a lower room of the dungeon that has not seen daylight for untold years. After progressing down into the depths of the dungeon, we find the prison cells where the maiden sits in squalor. After slaying the guards, the maiden asks us to take her outside. However, once we reach the door to the outside world, she suddenly does not want to leave the dungeon, instead asking us to take her out by a different route. Suspecting something is afoot, we head to the room where we shed light into the dungeon. As soon as the maiden touches the light, she screams in pain that it is too bright and transforms into a gigantic devil-like sorcerer named Blind. This demon sorcerer shoots laser beams at us and flies around the room, dealing massive damage whenever it touches us. Adding even more difficulty to this, to this fight, each time we think we fell the demon, its head simply detaches from its ghostly body and flies around the, sh- flies around the room, shooting even more lasers at us. Finally, on the sorcerer's fourth head, we destroy its body and it falls into permanent defeat. The fourth maiden then comes to the room in the 
classic crystal in the wake of the demon's demise. The Maiden tells us about the Knights of Hyrule, who long ago fought back the evil minions of Ganon as the sages sealed away the Triforce in the Dark World. Almost all of the brave Knights of Hyrule died in that struggle, but it was foretold that their descendant would be the hero of legend. She remarks that we must be one of, if not the last, descendant of that brave and noble line. The fourth maiden goes to join her sisters in freedom, and we continue on our quest to find the remaining three, and then Zelda herself. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. That is exactly what she says, yes. That's what they uh, all say, and I think it's a cool little line. That is a pretty cool little line. I, I, I kind of like it. I think if I, um, I think if A Link to the Past meant more to me in the canon of Zelda games, then I would probably have that as a tattoo, But because it's a really that's, cool line. That's, uh, that's, that's dedication. It is a good line. I'm going to have to keep that in mind whenever I get my Zelda tattoo or sleeve put together. <laughs> Ooh, a Zelda sleeve would be dope. Matt and I have an ongoing conversation about because I, I think – You know, I mean, we've shared a pretty cool experience with this podcast. I think we're both going to get Zelda tattoos at the same time because we always wanted them anyway. And, you know, what what better time than now? Um, We're still trying to figure out exactly what we want that to be. So I don't know. That is you are the artist here. So there's so much to to go off of. Like, I feel like if you're going to do it, you got to do it big. I decided a long time ago that maybe I shouldn't be designing my own tattoos just because then I'll like get sick of looking at them. But I don't know. I'll think about it. Um, Anywho, that's neither here nor there. Let's get into part two, which is our takes where we talk about how we felt about this section of the game. Mike, as the guest on the show this week, I'm going to pass it to you first. How did you feel about this entire section of the game without getting too specific about the dungeon? Uh, well, I really did enjoy this section of game. It made me hit my head against the table a little bit on a couple sections, but not as much as the Skull Woods did. Um, I did not get to listen to that full episode, so I apologize for that. But there were a couple times whenever I, I had some difficulty, but overall, I thought it was enjoyable. The whole deal with the fake princess, I, I really did enjoy. And whenever I tried to take her out of the dungeon the first time, I'm just like, F you, I'm going out this way. And, and then she doesn't follow you, and, and you're like, me. wait, what? I might like, stay in the dungeon then. You didn't rot there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I really did enjoy it. I thought the the dungeon, it, it was simpler than some of the other dungeons I feel like we've had, but I still thoroughly enjoyed it and the couple of mechanics that were were interesting in it, such as the the light beam in the the boss's room, I guess you would call it, or blind's balcony. Um, and I, I think that the way you described it as dank Dank. Probably the best word to describe this dungeon. I pictured it as very dank. This is some dank dungeon, y'all. <laughs> the uh, the color of the floor tiles that that like mossy green. Oh, dank is, uh, is very dank. It's uh, as the kids say, loud in there. Is that how the kids say it? Sometimes, yes. Okay, I'm a juvenile detective, and I I don't think they say loud for dank, but I've heard it before. Well, you're you're younger than me, so maybe. <laughs> Matt, how did you feel about this section of the game? Um. I really don't have much to talk about outside the dungeon. Like, literally, it was like 50 steps between the previous dungeon and this one. And um, I like I didn't do a whole lot outside of that, at least not before I got into the dungeon. I did exit the dungeon at one point. Sure. But um, like so outside the dungeon, not not I don't have very many feelings because it was 50 feet. And then uh, the the thing that I will say is um, figuring out how to get into the dungeon was a little bit interesting because I was like walking around this statue. Whereas thanks to the map, which is, again, weirdly omniscient, 
I knew exactly where I needed to be, didn't know how to get down. And so I was like, okay, I see where I'm supposed to go in. So I was like, bomb, no bomb, fire rod, no fire rod, ice rod, no, uh, hit it with my sword a whole bunch. And so I tried a whole bunch of different things and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to like move this statue and maybe I just have to push the statue back. So Pegasus boots into it, uh, tried to push it. And I was then, you know, eventually I was just like pulled back and it was like, and I was like, oh, hey, there you go. That was cool. That's Yay. pretty much how it happened for me. I tried literally every item mm-hmm. before just yanking on it. The old Samson. <laughs> yeah, you just you give it give it a good yank. Give yeah, it give, good give it a good yank. You know, that that should just be common sense in these games now. But yeah, yeah I had to give it a good yank. Yep. No, um, it was uh, it was interesting. I even tried magic powdering it. Yeah, like several times, like maybe maybe four magic powders will do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I threw some fire. I threw a hefty amount of fire rod at it. Just thinking about the last dungeon we were in. Yeah, Fire Rod solves everything. But Apparently no, I, not. I, I think it was fun that they made you work for it to get in a little bit. Uh, I enjoyed that part of it. So I have a few points I want to get into. Um, one of them kind of goes back to what you were talking about, how uh, this dungeon is just basically you can leave Skull Woods and just head straight south to this one. And in about five minutes, you're in the next dungeon, barring, you know, a period of trying to figure out how to get actually get into it. Um and I agree that I, uh, you know, I wish there was a little bit more overworld padding that was required for you to get through to get into this dungeon from the last one. And that kind of is true of a lot of the uh, a lot of the dark world dungeons in this game. Um, and I, I just kind of wanted to talk about an example of how I think this could have been done better. That was actually employed by A Link Between Worlds a lot later on. Um, you, neither of you have played A Link Between Worlds, correct? Correct. That is correct. Cool. So in A Link Between Worlds, it also has an alternate world that you can get to at one point with dungeons scattered across it, much like in the Dark World. But they are all geographically disconnected from each other by massive ravines. And so a lot of the puzzle solving uh, from one dungeon to the next uh, relates to you having to try and figure out how to get to specific places where you can enter the alternate world uh, at a at, at the correct point to get on that landmass where that dungeon is located. And it's a, it's a neat little trick that I think adds complexity to this. And, you know, I've talked before about how as much as I love this game, I'm somewhat unfairly judging it against some of the things that A Link Between Worlds does, which I think handle some of these problems a little bit better. And that's very unfair to this game. But also, I can't like erase that knowledge. It's just there. So, yeah. I mean, my, my biggest thing is I compare it too frequently to Link's Awakening, which is exact the next game chronologically and release date wise that in my opinion takes everything that a link to the past does and improves upon it and it's also the the one that i played first so like i'm playing the sequel before i play the first one and i'm like but link to the link's awakening does this and i'm like wait that's not fair to the game itself because this one came first this laid the groundwork for link's awakening and ocarina of time in so many ways that like When I put myself in that frame of reference, it is super impressive what this game accomplishes. But I will say, specifically in this section, I like overworld exploration leading to a dungeon. I don't like dungeon, 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 like dungeon hopping immediately, right? And so I did miss out a lot on just overworld exploration in this game or in this section of the game, this microcosm. So I get what you're saying, both of you guys on this, but for me, it wasn't too much of a turnoff because yes, I did go directly to that dungeon. Um, but with the way I'm playing it, I, I'm 
very new to this game, so I'm doing a lot of exploration for the first time. And I think that's kind of how they intended it, because yes, I got to the dungeon quickly. I went into the dungeon, played through part of it, and then I got that sweet, sweet power mitt. Ooh, the Titan mitt. Yeah, the Titan mitt. And I was like, man, I got the mitts. Let's go see what I can do. Mm. So that's when I left the dungeon, and I got a decent amount of overworld exploration just playing around with the Titan mitt during this section of game. And so I'm including that in my overworld exploration, maybe not to the dungeon, but in the same section. That's fair. It also does need to be said that, um, so obviously, Matt, you were right, in Link's Awakening, you have got a lot more puzzle solving that's generally required to get into the next dungeon after the previous one that you entered, you know? Mm -hmm. The the world is much more um, puzzle-oriented in that way. However, the trade-off is that this game does, in fairness, have about double the dungeons that Link's Awakening has. That is totally true. There, there is a lot more dungeon to cover. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to I'm not going to go too much further down this path, but you, you're absolutely correct. They're they're very different in the, the style of uh, journey you go on from a dungeon mm-hmm. versus exploration versus overworld. Kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. Journey. So one other thing I want to mention, this is a plot point and it goes back to what you were talking about with the, uh, the kind of dialogue that the maiden at the end of the dungeon gives you, um, you know, we've talked a lot before about the interesting narrative beats that connect this game to what we know has happened in Ocarina of Time. And in this one, it's revealed that the link of A Link to the Past is a descendant of one of the Knights of Hyrule who fought against Ganon's monster invasion in Ocarina of Time. And I think that that's very interesting because there's this ongoing thread of wondering just to what extent the links are genealogically related in these games. Like, you know, nothing is ever really confirmed outside of the hero shade in Twilight Princess, which I think I think in game he does say that he is your ancestor, right? I, I don't remember. I think so. I know that he's confirmed to be the hero of time from the Majora's Mask timeline where he didn't get to become the actual hero of time. He just, you know, remembers that as his wife. So I guess it's my headcanon that I I like to think that all the links and Zelda's are descendants, um, especially after playing Skyward Sword, where you have the original gang. I really like to think that they're all descended from that original gang in some shape or form, and that's the bloodline continues. And that's what Calamity Ganon, Ganon, whatever his iteration is going for, is attacking that bloodline. And, and it does make some sense because Demise talks about in his final lines to Link while he's dying is that he's cursing the descendants of the hero and the descendants of the of the princess. Well, and Ganon, the goddess. Ganon slash Ganondorf of the adult timeline in Ocarina of Time, when you seal him into the sacred realm, he says the same thing, that he's going to, you know, he'll he'll break out and come for the descendants of the hero in Zelda. Yeah, so I, th- I think your headcanon is totally accurate. Tracing that lineage is a little bit harder, but I think you're right. And, and as Lyndon said, the, the hero's shade in Twilight Princess does fully confirm that Twilight Princess Link is at the very least a descendant of him. Now, whether or not, you know, where that comes from, we can safely assume probably Malin since Twilight Princess Link is a farm boy, not royalty. So, you know, the, there's like some jumbled in there. And also the time period between games is not specified for very good reason. So, you know, there's there's a lot of uh and, and also the branching of the the three different timelines that we have. Right. There's a lot of room to play with it. But for sure. That would be a very interesting conversation that I would like to have with one of your your Zelda historian friends. Um I forget who it was. Melora could probably tell us a little probably, bit about that. And I would like to talk and see kind of what backup information there is as far as the bloodlines. 
Yeah, that definitely sounds like a Cody slash Melora question. And I bet I bet Max might have an opinion on it, but he's, I think, a little more gameplay focused than than narrative. So, yeah, but we will we will bring it up. Yeah, maybe a good bonus episode might be a good bonus episode. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and get on into part three, which is the dungeon map where we talk about this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. I'm going to kick off here. We're obviously talking about the Gargoyles domain, which is you know, we've had unique dungeons as we understand dungeon design to exist uh, in other Zelda games. You know, a lot of these are, could could be considered very unique um, as compared to those. This one kind of follows that trend a little bit in the sense that, like, there really is not too much of a progression of, like, key doors and um, trying to go in a linear path through this dungeon. The vast majority of space in this dungeon is taken up in uh, those first four humongous quadrant rooms, which um, have kind of unseen passages from one area to the next and just kind of you know, uh, following a variety of stairwells and then inaccessible um, pathways, trying to find your way to get, uh, of course, the dungeon map and the compass. But also, you can't really progress until after you've managed to find your way to the boss key, which is not hard to get to. Mm-hmm. It's just the visual layout of this dungeon is very confusing. Um, and the whole uh, situation where you walk underneath of walkways to get to other areas um, kind of really throws you for a loop it threw me for a loop it's very visually off-putting and i got hurt more doing that than at any other point until the boss fight because i would like pass under these walkways and there'd be not it's not an anti-fairy it's just those little energy balls that is like floating around or the the Zazax, who honestly I thought were the Zolfos. Are those the horse guys? Yeah, they're yeah. like they look like dinosaurs. Yeah, but the, the red guys. ones spit fire, and the blue ones just kind of walk into you. And like, yeah, so like they would hit me more often than not whenever I was underneath the, one of those like overpass things, I guess we'll call them. And I was like, I don't even know what hit me, and I'm just gonna kind of like walk through until I get to the to a space where I can see myself. So I got hit by those guys a lot. And sidetrack, does it tell you anywhere what these guys' names are or? No, you have to. I, I look them up as I'm writing the plot recap. I have Zelda Dungeon pulled okay. up for that was, section, and so that's where I get. I the was wondering from. if I was missing them. No, the original answer to that question, Mike, is the guide or the manual. So I believe that the manuals that came packed in with the boxes of these games um, did have somewhat of like encyclopedias telling you this is this enemy, this is this enemy, this is this enemy, and then also there were official guides published at the time where mm-hmm. some of that information would come from as well. Which, by the way, we had a very wonderful good friend reach out and offer to do. Donate or loan us his original Link to the Past uh, guide and game book. Chris Lopez, oh, that's, that's dope. Reached out on uh, Lopez hit us up. Yeah, he's he. So we need to go pick that up from him and take some pictures for uh, for to put on our Instagram and Twitter. The ghost and we himself. can just have that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, you need to get in touch with your old friend Chris and uh, so and get get that going. Just to to clarify for the listeners, this was a friend that I thought that Linda was making up for like the first three or four years I knew him because he was oft mentioned, never seen. And then at at one random party where we're all drunk in Lyndon's backyard, this friend shows up and I'm like, you're a real person? At like four in the morning. (laughs) It was like four. It was crazy. It was majestic. It was. He he is a unicorn. He is is, uh, rarely spotted, but when when he is, it's a magical moment. Yeah, Colleen still doesn't believe that he exists completely. 
I, I was a non-believer there for a while, but I have I have visual proof. Yes. So we need to get with Chris and get that guide. And, uh, yeah, and I have like 12 boasters for him, so. Yeah. Exactly. But back to the dungeon with the, the whole layout and it being difficult to see where you're going, I kind of also headcanon that as, well, if Blind is the boss, who I don't know how actually blind he is, but I thought it was an interesting name because I feel like if you were a blind gargoyle who was roaming this like you said, it's not been seen for years, untold years. If he's just wandering around here blind with no sense of sight, then this is a perfect dungeon for him. For sure. Yeah. One thing that I think is really interesting about this whole system of like going underneath the overpasses, as Matt was calling them, uh, the fact that this game has a delay when you pass from one grid section to another, like there's an animation delay. The very first time I ever played this dungeon, I thought I was maybe doing it wrong because you were running into a solid wall. Yeah, because I thought that a couple of times as well, because it's kind of gummy, right? Yeah. Like you kind of go under and then it like takes forever for you to pass into the next one and you can't see what's happening. So um and, you know, the first time I played this, I was also being very cautious because I was kind of assuming that maybe there would be actual solid walls under some of them and mm-hmm. not others. And there really aren't there. Yeah, and, and I, I agree. And one thing I noticed, and this might be a peculiarity of the Switch uh, digital um, console, is when I was whenever I was passing within the same grid space, I would come out from under one of those overpasses and the game would kind of the frame rate would lag a little bit as I was walking. And I would notice a little bit of slowness in both the enemies and myself. So I've never played this on the Super Nintendo, but I have played it on both the 3DS and Switch eShop versions. And uh, you can get into certain grid spaces. And if there's enough enemies and then like there's also a projectile that's being thrown, like one of the fireballs from the horse lizard dudes or like all the um like the the rabbit beams or whatever if you're walking and one of those is chasing you and there's also enemies moving around it's just like a lot and the frame rate really starts to chug i don't know if it's yeah. that way on the super nintendo i mean that makes sense that there's just a lot going on for especially that generation of game for sure um i have noticed that in in this particular dungeon i've never been a magic powder guy all of a sudden, I had like pocket powder going on as my main weapon. <laughs> pocket sand. Pocket sand. Yeah, I was pocket sanding everything in this dungeon. There is actually a really fun room. So it's um, it's the room that's got the multiple directionality um, treadmills that are going, the guillotine blocks, and then there's an anti-fairy. And it's the room where, it, so you go in the far, far north, and you go into where you have to hit the block to change between uh, orange and blue blocks. Right. And you come back out. If you can go in and out of that far north room and that anti-fairy will spawn infinitely. So you can hit it with magic powder and get as many fairies as you want, as long as you're going in and out of that room. Ooh, look at you cheesing. I know. So I, I did that um, to fill up my hearts before the boss. And then I would do it two more times to fill up both my bottles with fairies before going to fight. There um, is one room as well that whatever I, his name is. I still don't know why this room is there but it's in the i want to say the northwest of the dungeon on the main floor and uh it also is a big treadmill room it's got a few bumpers and then three blue jellyfish and i got in there killed all the jellyfish and nothing happens i don't know what that room is for i don't remember that room at all i I think i do I, i really never got anything out of it either i don't know if it was just like a a throw in room for s's and g's I mean, I got to believe that it is, 
uh, but also please correct us if we're wrong about that. Write in and let us know what that what that crazy room is actually for. But yeah, um, but for the most part, this is a fairly once you get past the main exploratory area, I guess, where you have to find the boss key. Once you get the boss key, it's a very short dungeon. It's a very short dungeon, and it is pretty linear. Uh, very difficult though. There is a lot of stuff in here that can hurt you like bad. Yeah, and so the the weird I, I, they look like Metroids to me, the ones that have the the bright red spot and then the gas yeah, cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they shoot the bright red spot out. I was like I didn't know you could damage those for a long time and I was trying to avoid those at the same time that I was going on the treadmills and the guillotines were going all over the place. I was like this is a nightmare and I just happened to randomly smack the red blob when it was outside of the gas cloud at one point and I was like oh that does damage and so then I figured out you could kill those and that made that so much easier. I still didn't know that so thanks yeah. for letting me know. No that made it so much easier now that after I'm done I figured that dungeon. out. <laughs> well and but even once you do know that it's tough especially on the treadmills to move adequately to attack them without getting hit by them because similar yeah. similar to the um to the ice projectiles in the swamp palace or whatever those were uh these oh the little water bubbles yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. these move in such a way to where it's like actually pretty tough to they're very erratic yeah. yeah they're super erratic they're not very predictable most yeah. most games in top or most enemies in top down zeldas have a very predictable movement pattern these ones do not so, Matt, I thought that you would enjoy this dungeon quite a lot because, to my knowledge, every wall that looks bombable in it is actually bombable. It is actually bombable. bombable. I, I, the floor pieces are not, but I can get over that because all the all the <laughs> walls did blow up, and yes. it was great. I appreciate the bombable walls. I definitely sat there and tried to bomb every single floor piece. The only yes. floor piece that I believe was bombable was the one that actually let the light in in that one room. You are correct. Everything else, I was like, okay, I'm going to bomb this, and then... So getting a little ahead of myself, I went and got the Bamos medallion. I did too. I did as well. And so that was my little side quest I'll talk about later. But I came back and tried to do that and wasted all my magic for not. So I I got the Bamos medallion a couple episodes ago and I went and used it on the large crack on the Dark World Pyramid because I was like, oh, it's a super bomb. Doesn't work on that crack. Don't do it. Nope. Yeah. Okay. So I do want to take a quick aside and talk uh, about the item that you find in this dungeon and also about how it led me outside the dungeon uh, before I actually got around to the boss. Of course, the main item you get is the Titan Mitt, which allows you to lift heavy objects. Uh, there's some big blocks in this dungeon you can lift with it, but also you can finally lift any block or skull that is mainly black in the overworld, which is a huge deal. So once we get the Titan mitt, I, uh, uh, you know, I got from there to the boss and then was promptly spanked by the boss. <laughs> oh, and dude, dominated. <laughs> so, uh, so what happened next was kind of fortuitous unintentionally because what I did was I was I was out of time for that day. I was like, I'll come back and I'll beat the boss later. Saved and quit the game. And loaded back up. I can't remember how actually this happened. I don't remember if you load directly back up into the dungeon that you left when you boot back up. You do not. You start at the pyramid. That's what I thought. So that happened to me. And in going back to the dungeon, once I had the Titan mitt, I actually ended up discovering the blacksmith's brother who is stuck in frog form in the dark world. He's just south of the village. And... Got the sword upgrade, tempered the master sword, and thus had double damage going into the boss fight. Yeah, I got my Sith blade the same way. I got real fed up getting <laughs> oh, the by Sith blind. blade, nice. the Sith blade, and I found Froggy Boy, took him back to his brother, and the two dwarves were reunited, and they forged me a new blade. 
Yeah. So, so just, that's a pro tip. If you're, if you go to blind and you're having a really hard time with him, just leave the dungeon with your Titan mitt, go upgrade that sword real quick. And then blind the boss becomes a, a decent chunk easier. But aside from that, the Titan mitt is not really required to do any major puzzle solving in this dungeon. I don't believe because after you get the maiden and have to walk her back up, you don't need. Correct. And you actually don't even need the Titan mitt to lift that very large silver block in order to get down to the, to the, far south portion of the lower uh, dungeon. You're right. I originally didn't even try and lift it because I imagined you would need the Titan block, and then I just did it on the way out with the Maiden the first time. Oh, for sure. No, it was uh, it was pure luck that I did it. As soon as I grabbed it and started lifting, I was like, there's no way this is going to work. But he just like completed. I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, this is a neat little moment for me. So let's talk about this moment where you find the maiden in the prison and then you have to walk her around in order to proc the boss fight. Because the first time I ever played this dungeon, this frustrated the hell out of me because the things that she says to you make it very nonspecific about what you're actually supposed to do. Like I was I, I just thought I was doing it the wrong way. Right. Where you get back to the entrance of the dungeon and. And she's saying like, no, no, I can't do this. And I'm just sitting over here like I have no idea what to really do here. Like nowhere else takes you outside. Yeah. And I felt the same way. I I took her to the front and I left her and I was like, well, you're dumb. Stay in there if you want to. (laughs) Fine. But (laughs) after that, I I did spend a, a little chunk of time, probably like 10 minutes looking for a second exit to the dungeon. And after I couldn't find one, I was like, ah, that that light beam. That's probably where I go. So I actually did not have a hard time figuring that out at all. So and, and that's much. No, <laughs> and it's it's purely because I remembered the spirit temple in Ocarina of Time where you have a very similar mechanic where you are bombing various walls in the spirit temple to let light shine through and you can use your mirror shield to redirect it. So as soon as I was able to bomb that um the section of floor and I saw the light shine through, I was like, that is important. I don't know why, but I know that that is important. Right. And so I got the maiden and I took her back to the entrance and she was like, no, I can't go out there. And I was like, oh, I think I probably need to take you over there. Um, also, I did talk to the the stone where the elder like gives you uh, an advice and he was like, don't be fooled by the sorcerer's magic. Not everything is what it seems in this dungeon or whatever. And I was like, okay, you know, probably fair, fair enough. Um, but just about say getting the fake maiden out of the dungeon was a straight callback to saving Zelda at the very beginning of the game. And I thought that was kind of neat. A cool little mirror uh, there from earlier on in the game. I agree. So I thought that was neat. I concur. So we so <laughs> however long it takes you to put these pieces together, we take the maiden to the boss chamber where light is now shining through. And once she is exposed to the light, she is revealed to, in fact, be the boss of the dungeon, Blind, who – little bit of interesting uh, narrative trivia here. Blind is mentioned in the light world. Um, if you go to Kakariko Village in the light world, there is uh, – so there's a cluster of buildings on the northern part part of Kakariko Village that is in the same spot as um, – so in the dark world, you can see buildings in the same spot, and they're inaccessible from the overworld, but they have little slats, like little grates that you can see, and they actually line up geometrically with where um, that upper level is in the dungeon. And so when you bomb the floor to let the light in, it's actually coming in through those buildings that are that you can see in the north end of the outcast's village or the thieves village or whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway in the light world there are buildings in the same spot you go in early game you can do this as soon as you have the bombs and there's a thief in there who says this used to be a a thieves hideout and it was run by a guy named blind 
And so, yeah, uh, you can get some rupees in there. But all that is to say, Blind was at one point a thief in the light world who I guess moved into the dark world to try and acquire the Triforce. Um, But all that is to say that Blind the boss is clearly, you know, we know that people who go into the dark world from the light world who don't have the moon's pearl are transformed into like ghastly monsters or animals or whatever. And the boss Blind is very clearly the – I guess the mutated dark world version of the light world thief. Yep. Uh, and according to ZeldaDungeon.net, he is a demon who was formerly human and is exactly that same person. I'm l- reading the little blurb about him on Zelda Dungeon. So how do you get the glow up to a, a cool demon when you go in the dark so, world versus a bunny rabbit? So what the, what they say, and this is actually, you find this out the first time you enter the dark world when you're trying to get into the Tower of Hera, if you talk to either of the characters that are there, the 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 pink blob ball or the fox thing, yeah. the pink blob ball tells you that in the dark world, you take on whatever form your spirit embodies. And so like the blob, he was like, I was, I'm like not a strong enough person. I don't like have a strong personality. So I'm just this blob. And like these other people turn into monsters or flute boy turns into that, I don't know, anteater thing. And so <laughs> you, you take on the form of whatever your spirit is. And so blind, who was a thief who was trying to obtain the Triforce, uh, takes on, on the form of a, an evil demon. Man, I would love to know what dark world creature I would take upon going into the dark world. I, that, I actually that, am curious. That as would well. be a that fun. Like, be, the, what's yeah. your Patronus quiz? Uh, uh, what's yeah, my Dark World quiz? That's a fun one. So I know you guys are saying that blind looks cool, but honestly, like I walked I think in, he looks like a sheet. Well, I <laughs> saw it, but well, that's my thing. He looks like a Satan cat wearing a pillowcase. He does look like a Satan cat wearing a pillowcase. You that's say exactly that, but he still is. punked all of us. He did. He punked <laughs> us hard so many times. Yeah, he slapped me down. <laughs> I mean. Like just from a mechanic standpoint, you know, obviously there's not as much going on in this boss fight as there was with Mothra or whatever his name is. And <laughs> Mothra is the better version. Yes, we'll called Mothra. Yeah, Mothra. But like still, there's a lot going on here. There's lasers and fireballs. He's moving around a lot. And then it's even it's harder. It's very confined space too. There's not a lot of maneuvering room. It is. And it's even harder because his only vulnerable area is his head. But he hangs so close to that north wall that it's really tough to kind of get up there. Especially when there are at least two of those heads flying around shooting random lasers you're just like trying to get up there and hit him so i so there are two there are three strategies really to to beat blind and the the most effective is obviously using the magic cape because you can't take any damage other than that you can use the cane of burna which I don't have, and I'm reading this off Zelda Dungeon.net. The Cane of Burna, like, it makes it so that when you walk into enemies, it does damage to them and you don't take damage. So that's easy. Or the way that I finally did it, I went into the boss room with full hearts and just sat at the back and threw the sword beams at him. And the sword beams do for some reason as much damage to blind as a normal sword hit. Oh, that's Whereas cool. most, most of the times the sword beam does half damage, but I just sat at the back and if you have the upgraded shield, it blocks lasers. So the lasers can't hit you and you're just sword beaming him and you're like, ah, die. And so after my like fifth time dying to this dude, I was like, I'm just going to go in there full health and I'll just like shoot sword beams at him. And it worked I like mean, a that, charm. That's a good strategy. So I, I caveman this dude after my like fourth time dying, I went and got the upgraded sword and then yep. I went back and I'm just like, I'm going to get, I have three bottles. I'm going to get three fairies. And I'm going to go in and do it <laughs> and on my last fairy with two hearts left. I whooped him because my dumb butt kept trying to hit his heads. And I guess the, yes, he- the, the heads are the heads invulnerable. Don't matter. Yep. And I was so frustrated, but you know, enough hearts and enough fairies 
You can just juggernaut your way through it, man. <laughs> I juggernauted. I just <laughs> tilted my head down and rammed. <laughs> yeah, I think that this boss, you know, I said last week that I thought Mothra was kind of a, uh, you know, um, a very unsatisfying boss to fight. Because, like, difficulty is one thing, but there was just too much going on in there, right? It's just so, so difficult. And I stand by my, uh, what I said to Ben, which is that if this game had a rock's feather and you had some evasion that was available to you, then it would have been a lot more fun. Still very challenging, but a lot more fun. This boss fight, I don't, I was not quite as annoyed with it. I think that it is possible to avoid a lot of this stuff if you move carefully. Um, still very difficult. And I mean, yeah, it's just it's a it's a good fun boss fight that doesn't really have a mechanic to it. If I had a nitpick, it would really be that again. Excuse me. Ag- Try again. Again, we have got a boss in this game that is purely combat based and it like it is not required for you to use the dungeon item to beat him in any way. But with all these different bosses, like you said, there are a lot more dungeons in this game than, say, Link's Awakening. I like the fact that there's different techniques for different bosses. Because if it was just you use the item you got in the temple for every boss, I think that would get old. The fact that this one threw a little curve at me with the, I have to just time it right, go in there and do combat, w- was actually kind of fun for me. I I will. I have to kind of agree with Lyndon on this one that just the the chaotic nature of everything that's going on where there's literally no way to do this boss without like at some point taking damage or possibly dying is that that frustrates me. Like, I don't want easy boss fights. I I don't want easy boss fights, but I want a boss fight that is challenging because you have to learn the mechanics and learn the rhythms to make it work. Like the first Aghanim fight that was originally frustrating to me until I learned the rhythm of his attacks. And then I could plan my engagements correctly. That was a good boss fight in a top-down Zelda. This is a chaotic, just there's your luck of the draw. Maybe you get hit, maybe you don't. And and you just kind of have to make it work. So you're not into the Kobayashi Maru? I am not into the Kobayashi Maru. I would totally pull a James T. Kirk and cheat my way through that test, yes. I, I'm really glad you got that. I figured you would. Obviously I would. But, oh, you're talking to the right crowd for that, buddy. <laughs> you're my crowd, boys. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, like overall, I would say this dungeon was interesting enough short um the the whole mechanic of you know the multi-layered moving around trying to figure out not everything is as it appears interesting uh i didn't love the boss fight the uh item is really fun just because you can actually move all those blocks that i've been trying to move for a long time and uh i I like doing well that's the fun thing i feel like you know we talked last week with ben about the fact that the hook shot in top down zeldas is usually so much fun because it instantly opens up so many areas of the map to you and in this game it really doesn't Mm -mm. but as soon as you get the titan mitt like i can think of Tons of spots off the top of my head where I previously saw black blocks or skulls that I could not get past, and now that is no longer a problem. So having the Titan Mitt does really open up a lot of this game in a way that having the hookshot does not, which is nice. Yeah, and also the Fire Rod while being cool is also not a very useful item in any other circumstance other than entering Skull Woods, uh, the Skull Woods dungeon. So like, yeah, th- like this is a, one of those items that is impactful to the overall game. I mean, some of that, too, is just what you want to do with the weapons. Like, we talked about the the crazy bomb arrows in Link's Awakening that you can just kind of get yeah, for fun. so fun. Man, I just love fire-rodding dudes. 
Like you, that's you, fair. If if you get enough magic from cutting grass, I'm gonna fire rod some dudes. It's just fun. They like one shot everything, don't they? Like even the Hinoxes. It'll like one shot a Hinox. Super cool. Well, I kind of you know, I'm a Harry Potter fun as well. <laughs> I like Incendio. Yo, know, yeah, I'm definitely burning and freezing dudes just for fun to make this game yeah. more interesting. That's fair. Cool. All right. Does anyone else have anything they want to say in closing about the Gargoyles domain before we move on? I don't believe so. No, I think we touched on pretty much everything. I just like the fact that the the temple is kind of tailored to the boss with, with the, the fact that this is not a, a visual dungeon. Like you kind of have to feel your way through it like a blind would. Um, it, you know, just, I thought that was kind of an interesting tidbit for me. And it was challenging for me enough that I thought it was fun and interesting. Um, I, I appreciate about this that it keeps me guessing. Yep. Cool. Let's move on to part four, which is where we talk side quests. Uh, I've already kind of talked about the tempering of the sword, which is the big one that I did this week. I also found a heart piece, uh, which is the one in the dark world. Um, so in the section of grid where the blacksmith's forge is in the light world, there's all those posts that you can hit with the hammer and hitting all those down opens up a secret passage, gets you a piece of heart. That was fun. Um, I think that's really all I did this week in terms of side quests. Matt, what did you get done? Side note, I do love hitting everything I can with the hammer because it makes a very satisfying little clunk noise. And also when it gets flattened out, it's just visually satisfying. It's like playing whack-a-mole. I I really like it. So again, I let my daughter play this game, uh, my three and a half year old, and she just wanted to play something. And I really didn't want her to lose all my fairies. So I just turned her loose in that area with the hammer and let her (laughs) hammer all the blocks. She had a fantastic time and I got a heart piece. I mean, what more can you ask (laughs) for? Exactly. It's so much fun. So, but did she enjoy it more or less than the beetle and Skyward Sword? Uh, I would say less. The the two Ds well, are not her be- thing. That's because flying the beetle around is super fun. The, the beetle's super fun. You can fly around and there's a lot more space. She just thinks she's a, a little pilot. Um, she still, she wants to play with dad. And who am I to say no to that? To say no to that. So I'll let her do something. <laughs> no one, Mike. No You're one, no one no to, to say no to No that. one says no to that. <laughs> I have no power. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, uh, I left the dungeon as well. Uh, I, I did leave the dungeon after I got the Titan mitts and I went and got the magic cape uh, with the uh, Titan gauntlets and I didn't use it uh, against blind uh, because I actually don't have a reason why I didn't use it. I just didn't. Um, but yeah, it was uh, I, that was the only side quest I did this week. So if we're on side quests, so the two that I did this week that were pretty fun where I went and got the Bamos medallion. I think that's the right name. Yep, that's is, correct. Is that the one up near the Tower of Hera? Uh, no, no, it's the one in the desert. So this is the one where you go to the desert. And so I, I went in the light world and then I've just been having a good time going to the light world and switching back and forth the mirror and yes. seeing where I can get to. And I happened upon this little plateau, if you will, it is a plateau, and went and read the special book, um, the, the Zelda Bible. <laughs> and I got the Bombos medallion. So that was really awesome. I haven't gotten to use it much, but that thing will clear a, a room like no one's business. Oh, for sure. I made liberal use of the Bombos medallion in the Skullwoods temple to clear the room, especially the ones that had like multiple um, zombie dudes. Yes. So, so helpful. I used it for that. The other side quest that I did was over in the, is it Lake Hylia? So it's essentially the Lake Hylia of this game that I went and started throwing rupees to the water 
And you know, much like you, you toss a coin to your Witcher or <laughs> <laughs> toss a coin to your Witcher. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Plenty. Fantastic show. <laughs> yes. God, that was beautiful. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, nerds. I love you guys. So uh I I did I tossed some coins to my Witcher or Fairy, and she kept upgrading my and oh, can I say that? No, I, I won't you say can, that. Anymore. It'll get bleeped, but it's okay. Fine. Um, so tossed tossed a coin to her, and after I tossed a certain number of coins, she would upgrade my bomb bag or my arrows. And so I just sat there with my nine hundred ninety nine rupees and kept tossing, and I'm upgraded. There you go. That's all you need. Gotta love that. Having arrows is definitely tons of fun. So that's what I'm going to be doing next week because I didn't know you could do that. And and so far, none of us have yet to blow up the big wall in the Pyramid of Power. That so. is correct. I don't know how you do it, and I'm going to be really excited when I find out, but I'm pretty pissed at this point. I, I know. Think, I've, I've tried taken, everything. <laughs> I've taken multiple trips back, and it has not worked. I know. It's, it's, very, it's a little bit frustrating, but we'll get there. Okay, let's move on to part five, which is Z-targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Mike, I'm going to bounce this one to you first. So I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Froggy McDorf. Um, and so he is in the kind of same area where the the little mini game where you have to run through to get in a certain time frame to get your heart piece. Um, over there, there is a froggy boy. And if you say hi to the froggy boy, he will tell you he's not actually a froggy boy, but a dwarf. And that his brother is missing him. And I only know one guy who's missing a brother in this game. So I took him back and gave him to him. And he gave me the Sith Blade. Yeet. Very helpful froggy boy. We do love the froggy boy. Matt, Z-targeting, go. Uh, I'm going to take the easy pick because he's really the only character I encountered encountered outside of myself as uh, blind. Because it's really cool that he does the whole uh, transformation of the, you know, showing up as the maiden get you take him outside then turns into the bad guy like that's uh that's not normal in a zelda game and i thought it was really cool so i'm gonna i'm gonna take the easy path and go with the boss so i wonder how committed he was to that role of pretending to be the princess how long was he gonna pretend yeah, like yeah. if you kept coming out of the dungeon through the main door and back in like could you have visited him and started a relationship like mm, i mean good question would, would he have committed and started another bloodline with Link? I mean, there's, there's just a lot to unpack there. I will say, I do find it annoying because I did leave the dungeon at, to go get the magic cape. Um, I had to go back down into the dungeon depths to go find him again, and that was kind of annoying. Yeah, so I'm going to choose blind as well. I mean, like Matt said, there are only there, there's only so many options to really pick from in this section of the game. But... uh I do just enjoy the whole setting up of him and his character and uh, the way that this game kind of does it. Like, you know, just kind of putting the pieces together from what other characters have told you in the light world and then knowing the way that dark world transformations work and the fact that this boss is the product of that. I, I just thought it was really neat. And it's the kind of it's the kind of setup that this game doesn't do a whole lot, but it was satisfying and cool. And from a narrative standpoint, very interesting. Yep. Cool. All right, let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts. Matt, why don't you put a little bow on this for us? While this is a very short section of the game with a, a fairly linear dungeon, I would say that this section of the game is really a satisfying portion. Um, the, the dungeon is challenging, but not overly so. There are mechanics that are are easily uh 
that that makes sense to veteran Zelda players and are also approachable to non-veteran Zelda players alike. The boss fight, while not being my favorite, uh, is set up really well just from the uniqueness of having the uh, the boss come to you as an escort character, um, which then transforms into into your final enemy. Uh, the Titan Myths are an excellent item that are going to open up a lot of exploration options throughout the rest of the game and the overworld, uh, which will help us throughout uh, the rest of our three maidens and uh, finding Zelda. So overall, I would say while it's a short section, it's an impactful one uh, that uh, lends itself uh, well to the game overall. To, to add a little tinsel to your tree there, Matt, Ooh, I just want to say that I enjoy being constantly surprised by this game. I know some of it's probably been hashed out on the episodes I've missed, but the the game itself has surprised me on the amount of ingenuity and, and mechanics essentially involved in this game with the skull woods and the dropping into new areas. All these treadmills are awesome. Um, I don't know if Max or anyone has talked about this previously, but they're, they're doing a lot that I did not see coming into this game. That's really kept me on my toes and kept me in, engaged in a great way. I, I've loved this game so far. Uh, the surprise, the surprise aspect of it is very accurate. And, and this game does continue to bring things up that I wouldn't expect from a game designed in this era and for this console. And, and it's doing very well. Good tag team on that one, y'all. Well, thank you. We have, we have a good uh, little quid pro quo going on right now. What am I pro quo here? <laughs> Just the, I think that's more of a ideas. rapport than a quid <laughs> pro quo. I, I mean, I'll give you something. You want another shot of my whiskey or Absolutely, something? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Always. Uh, rapport is definitely the, uh, the word I was going for there. Thank you, Lyndon. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Guys, this has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will, of course, be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown covering A Link to the Past, Chapter Ocho been a fun one right y'all it's always a fun one with mike the detective i love you guys merry christmas merry belated christmas happy new year happy chrysler (laughs) happy crisis (laughs) (laughs) oh regardless we will of course be having mike back on at a later date uh this guy's geographical proximity to our recording space every week combined with the fact that we really just like having him on means that that's pretty much a certainty so hopefully next time i'll be a little less gimpy (laughs) so (laughs) so then doesn't have to pick me up from like 10 houses down. <laughs> it's embarrassing. No, it was fine. It's okay, Mike. We love you and we support you in this difficult time. Uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron. If you've got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. Also, I have just recently learned that Spotify has now given its users the ability to rate podcasts. Yay! So, Please, if you listen to us on Spotify, head over there and give us the maximum rating that it allows you to give. We would appreciate that very much. And find the best menu you can add to our... Please, seriously, we we will... Anyone who posts a menu readout with a five-star review, you'll get a shout-out on the show. Guaranteed. Because that was hilarious. Yeah, I'm really hoping for, like I said, P.F. Chang's would be great. Buffalo Wild Wings would be fun. Oh, I would love a good B-dubs menu. I'd love me some wings. Yeah, I'll tell you what. So obviously the big points are for the P.F. Chang's menu, but if you have a regular review and you want to end it with your favorite Buffalo Wild Wings flavor, then. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. Do the challenge, the, the hot challenge. The atomic hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I can't advocate that. I think you have to sign a waiver and I don't want to put anyone through that, but whatever. <laughs> it hurt me. 
Oh my gosh. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on A Link to the Past, Chapter 8. A Link to the Past can, of course, be played in so many places. You can play it in a variety of eShops, on the Switch, on the Wii U, on the Wii. Actually, that one's down now. You can't get it on the Wii anymore. Uh, but you can play it on the Game Boy Advance. You can play it on the Super Nintendo Classic or on just a regular old Super Nintendo. Lots of options there. In the meantime, may your hearts be full. May your arrows never miss. We'll catch y'all next week. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.